cliffcentral.com. All right, but we do have to turn our attention to very important things, and this has to do with your civil liberties. And I'm, I am, uh, I, I've been beating this drum for a long time, but I'm glad I finally got someone who feels as strongly about this as I do. He can I have is, a cigarette while we, while yeah, we do this? Of course Thanks. you can, Leanne. It's okay. up to you. It's totally up to you. Uh, Raiz Saint is a legal representative. Um, he's been in the law for a long time. He's interested in civil liberties, and I think we've got to almost start a, a hashtag this morning because the stuff he wants to talk with us about is something, I mean, this is something that's been going on since the beginning of lockdown, but it's even preceded that, where people are prevented from exercising their free choice by the state, and it drives me up the, up the wall because... We have a constitution which protects individual liberties, and yet we have people constantly trying to infringe on those and to reduce the amount of civil liberty that ordinary people have. So we're talking about unprecedented times at the moment. Those in power can change within weeks. Regulations can change by the day. Your freedom of choice has never been more important. So why are we allowing the government to continue to infringe on our choice to smoke or not? Over the past few days, we've covered how sectors like the alcohol or the hairdressing industry are impacted by COVID-19. And this morning, I thought we would talk a little bit about the tobacco ban, specifically. Joining us on the line, we have Reese Saint, who actually is a legal representative for Goldleaf Tobacco. We thought we would get his perspective on the matter and explain why your right to choose should not be taken away from you. So, Reese, welcome. Good morning, Gareth. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, man. Nice to see you, man. Uh, Likewise. so, all right. I mean, you and I are probably not going to disagree a lot in this conversation. So for people looking for a fight, this is not going to be their favorite uh, conversation. But I think you probably speak on behalf of lots of people in South Africa. Yes, absolutely, Gareth. In fact, to give you the number, we're looking at about 11 million smokers in South Africa alone. So that's, that's, that's really an army of their own. So, Raiz, I read an, uh, an article over the weekend. Uh, UCT researchers have said that a major new study by the University of Cape Town shows almost all smokers have been able to buy cigarettes during lockdown, and they've concluded that the ban is backfiring really badly and should be lifted as soon as possible. The research unit on the economics of excisable products at UCT found that more than 90% of smokers had bought cigarettes despite the government's prohibition. Smokers have had to pay a substantially higher price for cigarettes and may have had to purchase unfamiliar brands, while some have had to turn to drug dealers, smugglers, or black market traders. Now, this doesn't surprise you in the least, does it? No, not at all, Kenneth, not at all. I think just to give you a bit of background, um, the cigarette industry has been filled with illicit and black market for the last, I think, for as long as it's existed. Mm -hmm. There's a syntax on cigarettes which make it very profitable for smugglers to try and smuggle these things in and sell them at ridiculously high profits and not pay the taxes. Now, you know, internationally, globally, if we look at it, there's been no factual research showing that a prohibition on the sale of cigarettes assists in the combat against COVID-19. If anything, if you ask me, all that this has basically done is we're eroding our legal cigarette market within South Africa at a far more rapid rate. You know, what's happening is these smugglers, these guys are obviously getting a lot stronger because economically, they're making an exceptional revenue now more than ever. Because I don't know if you've seen, there's also a, a, a huge premium on cigarettes. I've, I've heard guys charging up to two or three hundred bucks for a pack of smokes. Right, but there's an a, so there's can you a, imagine the margin of that? It's 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 exorbitant. There's there's an additional pro- problem here because 
tobacco products you cannot advertise traditionally in South Africa. We've had a massive restriction on how you advertise. Tobacco companies are restricted in terms of how they can communicate. So here they are as an industry providing something that people want, that people want to buy, but they're not allowed to advertise that product thanks to previous legislation brought in by Nkosa Sanat Lamini Zuma while she was health minister. And now they're in the insidious and, and, and ugly position of not being able to even talk about the fact that their industry is in peril from black market traders and 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 people who probably are you know not just doing damage in terms of trading in potentially dangerous goods but they're also not helping the government to gain the tax revenues that they would from proper cigarette purchases yes absolutely Look, Gareth, I think there's also a bit of a freedom element which you've got to look at here. Yes. The National Disaster Act does outline that the minister does have certain powers to prohibit certain things um, when we are in a state of disaster. Like, for example, if you look at the liquor, it's expressly provisioned there that the minister can prohibit the sale of liquor. Mm -hmm. He's got the power to do so. He doesn't have the power to limit the sale of cigarettes. So the blanket prohibition on the sale of cigarettes are beyond the minister's powers. So how did this happen then? Yeah, the, the, the cigarettes are, as you said now, intended for human consumption. Yeah. Right. Why would one say that a soft drink or a chocolate constitutes an essential good, but not a cigarette? Where do you draw the line on what's essential and what's not? Absolutely. The public should have some freedom within reason, of course, of being able to make their own election on what they believe is essential for their own consumption. Look, you're... you're, you're drawing on something that is very close to my heart. I think that even if you want to do things that are bad for you, it should be up to you to do so. You own your own body, at very least. And while other people may have the best intentions in the world, they don't necessarily get to decide what's good for you and what isn't, even if they're very, very, very even if they're in the government. So if you want to, I mean, there are lots of people who do overeat in this country. We don't see any uh, legislation being drafted to prevent people from uh, making themselves obese, do we? Yeah, that's no. the whole thing. Like, like exercise should be made uh, mandatory. mandatory. Mandatory, absolutely. It should be illegal not to exercise. And you know, I think there's one further component here which you which you must consider, and that is obviously the addictive effects of nicotine. Mm-hmm. You know, on nicotine, in fact, there's been a recent research from France which demonstrates that nicotine actually assists in fighting with this virus. But look, that's a novel study, so let's rather talk about what we know. Okay. Um, Those who are addicted require a constant supply to mitigate the negative psychological impacts of this, right? Right. And the sudden impacts of, 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 of the absence of nicotine can create a psychological fallout like depression and anger, irritability, frustration. Just last week, in fact, we heard our president speaking, and he said we're experiencing um, a higher volume of gender-based violence. Yeah. I'm not saying that's because uh, cigarettes have been banned, but, you know, you've got to look at this thing as a whole. And like I said earlier in this discussion, we've got 11 million smokers. You know, you take that away from them, and all of a sudden you've got 11 million angry people. Yeah, or at very least you know, irritable. With the effects of a lockdown, you know, you, you will experience higher gender-based violence and so on. So I think you've really got to look at this thing holistically, especially like you mentioned with the excise payments and so on. You know, I'm not, I'm not privy to, to, to everybody's figures, but I can tell you unequivocally, Gold Leaf uh, makes an excess contribution of around 200 to 300 million rands per month to the government. Sure. You know, if we look at it year on year, um, last year, 
for, for the months of April to May 2019. Mm-hmm. I think they paid collectively between VET and excise something to the tune of about 500 million to the government. Now, you're telling me government so, don't, don't need that 500 million now. They need it more than ever. Absolutely. In, in a time like this year, in an unprecedented time like this, I mean, that money could go towards contributions to hospitals for medical supplies. Mm-hmm. It could go towards um, uh, food parcels for the poor who actually still are under lockdown. I mean, we've seen, we've already seen so many jobs lost. Some critics are saying we're looking at up to a million jobs lost. You know, so I think now it's really a critical time to actually draw on all of these resources nationally and, and, and put that money to good use. And we don't want to find our situation or find ourselves in a situation where we keep the legal market closed for so long that even when we reopen it, because these smugglers have become so strong, yeah. it's much more difficult for our local manufacturers to actually get back in. Yeah, and they've established their networks now and they're supplying Absolutely. people. And, and you're never going to get that tax revenue back, government. You, you, you've, you've cut off your nose to spite your face. Plus, you're now exposing the public to greater danger and greater harm. And you've prevented people from enjoying something which they had every right to enjoy before and which they still have a right to enjoy now. So, Raiz, let's let's look at a best-case scenario here. I mean, if government just said tomorrow, okay, we're going to ease off this tobacco ban, we would still have a while before, because now you have to reestablish the supply chain, and there's going to be a run on cigarettes, obviously, because people who haven't been able to buy will be rushing to the store and buying up more than they usually would, because they'll feel like, oh, my God, it could be taken away from me again. That's just human psychology. Would that solve all the problems, though, in, a, in about three, four weeks after the, the unbanning? Or do you think that they've done massive damage that will re- result in, in longer, uh, longer-term problems for the economy? Look, I think obviously the longer the lockdown on, this, on the sales go, the more harm we are going to cause. I think if, we, if, we, if, if tomorrow government opens it up, I don't think we've yet caused irreparable harm. Because cigarettes is a fast-moving consumer good. The factories will be able to produce quite quickly. Yeah. You will also have a lot of stores who would have already stockpiled, mm-hmm. but obviously not selling. Mm-hmm. So they would have still sufficient stock to carry them at least for a few days until they could get a new supply. And immediately once you start manufacturing, your excise payments become payable. Right. So the revenue stream would almost automatically kick in for government. And really, Raiz, I mean, this is about people's personal choices. Absolutely. So absolutely get it. Uh, someone may have decided to give up smoking during the lockdown, but most people would want to do that on their own terms. If you're forced to do something, it isn't really about choice. No, absolutely. I mean, if you want to quit, you will quit. And and if COVID nineteen is the reason for you to quit, then you'll do so at your own election. Yeah, you're not going to be coerced into it because, like we said earlier, you know, if you're going to just take it away from somebody who's not interested in quitting, he's going to have extremely negative effects, which he was not prepared for. Yeah, and you know, it, it even for me, it went as far as. Um, not being able to work, not being able to concentrate. I couldn't sit at my laptop for more than two minutes before I was already going crazy and needed to, to walk. Or, You're 100% correct. Yeah. 100%. In fact, I've seen, I've seen some emails um, from ordinary consumers who basically say that they've got conditions, medical conditions, and now that they've taken away the cigarettes from them, they actually they can't focus in a day. You know, their their whole systems just seems to want to shut down. They believe that they they may actually even die out of the withdrawal. Yeah. Well, we got lots of messages coming in here, and uh, Reese, Leanne, Sia, feel free to comment on any of this. Um, 
we're all individuals who have the choice to be able to make our own decision. The basic freedom has been taken away, and that is the main problem I have with it. That's from Ruth. Uh, someone else saying, should we all wear a black bag to show how unhappy we are? <laughs> oh, goodness, no. <laughs> um, and, and lots of people asking about whether or not this means that the same stuff applies to alcohol. What do you think of that? Anyone want to throw in any comments there? I feel like alcohol affects um, – I think it affects, having alcohol affects your performance and your day-to-day capabilities – more than not having alcohol or not having cigarettes does. I right. think it could lead, an excess of alcohol could lead to bad choices um, and, you know, breaking the law, et cetera, and, and mm. unwanted behaviors and perhaps more hospital visits, et cetera. So I, I don't think it's fair to compare alcohol to cigarettes at all. Yeah. Yeah, I do agree with you on that. Tell me how the, the, the legal industry is dealing with this. I know you, you have clients that you represent and really, as I said earlier, these guys are not given a fair shake at being able to put their side of the story across because they're so um, maligned by government and, and their, their channels for communicating are so limited. Are, are, there, mm-hmm. are there ways that the tobacco industry can actually stand up for itself other than to go to court every time? Seemingly, seemingly not that much, Garrett. I mean, not consulted prior to the ban. This yeah. came as a surprise to them as it came to everybody, you know. So there's been no no participation from government side, uh, no consultative process about how we should actually go about this, you know, uh, limit sales on a curfew or or something. There hasn't been any talk about it. It's just been a blanket ban. So there hasn't been any discussions on this year. And are, are um, people in government even willing to sit and have discussions with, with the tobacco industry or are they just – because they've, they've – they're like a pariah. They're kind of outside the, the, the world, and yet you say 11 million people in this country want to have them included in what goes on in their lives. It's, they're just being ignored. Yeah. Look, Goalit belongs to uh, an organization known as the Fair Trade and Independent Tobacco Organization, yeah. who, seem to, who actually represents uh, a few of the local manufacturers. And they've been trying to talk to government. They, in fact, launched a court application because they, all of their requests were just basically falling on deaf ears. So they launched a court application to try and reverse the decision taken by the government. And, in fact, to have cigarettes considered an essential good, even at level five. So assuming even if we go back to level five, uh, we should still be able to sell. But, you know, like you say, Gareth, is court always the best place to deal with it in the sense that shouldn't we be having a more open discussion with government. Right. But they haven't set the platform for that. So, you know, unfortunately, sometimes you just have to do what you have to do. Well, I'm delighted we got to at least speak to you this morning and maybe bring a little bit of balance to what has otherwise been a, a very one-sided argument. Those 2,000 people who uh, Minister Nkosasana Tlaminizuma said that she got support from to continue the tobacco ban, do we have any idea who these people are? Has there been any clarity from government about the decision-making process behind the scenes when it came to, to tobacco bans and so on? Or are we just expected to accept it and move on? Well, actually, in the court application, government stated that the minutes behind this are actually classified. <laughs> um, okay. On those 2,000 people that you're speaking of, I'm not too sure of them, but what I can say to you is that I don't know if you've seen, there's another poll which has been running alongside that one yeah. where they've got about 500,000 signatures calling for the ban to be reversed. So... <laughs> If you compare apples with apples, 
I think that's where the action this thing should go. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up too. Listen, uh, Rees, good luck to you. Good luck to your clients. Um, and I hope we get to hear more balance in this discussion going forward because the people who have uh, a problem with uh, tobacco clearly have the lion's share of the market in terms of communication around it too. So I thought it would only be right to get you in, as we've discussed, you know, the hairdressing ban with hairdressers, and we've discussed all kinds of other uh, hot food bans with people in that business, the liquor industry we've spoken to. So I'm glad we got to spend a bit of time with you this morning. And thanks. We'll, we'll probably speak to you again soon. Fully appreciate it, Gareth. Thank you very much, right, man. man. Thanks, yeah. Reis. There's Reis. Yeah. yeah, isn't that cool? Like, finally, we get to hear the other side of the discussion. And it's a side that we've often uh, brought up on the show because I may not be a smoker, but I'm all for people's individual rights. You want to take, if you want to take something that's bad for you, do it. You want to do bungee jumping, which is, look, the chances of you dying in bungee jumping are kind of high. But if you want to do it, who the hell am I to get in your way? Yeah, let's bring back our choices, man. Hashtag bring back our choices. Get that going. All right. Can we just do that? Is it possible for us to do that? I don't think that's asking for a lot. Morning. Uh, this is a message that's just come in on the on the line. Do we as citizens actually believe that any of our elite government officials don't have contacts to consignments and do not smoke? Who or pass them on to their friends? I have contacts, and I'm just a middle class person. Of course, those people in government do. If there are smokers in government, CliffCentral.com.